Well, continuing in our series called Certain Truth, uh, today we're in Luke chapter 8, and we're talking about what it means to be a face in the crowd. I don't know how you feel about crowds. Depending on your personality or where you grew up or your experiences, um, you, you, you live somewhere on a continuum of, let me be alone in a cabin in the woods and never see another person the rest of my days, all the way to, let me ride a crowded subway in Beijing. That's what I want, right? <laughs> I've been there where you're crowded in so tight, you think you could probably lift your feet off the floor and not fall down. There's something kind of fun about that, especially if you're me and you're, one of your love languages is touch. It just feels good. Everybody's crowded around you, you know. I kind, I kind of enjoy crowds. Sometime in my life, I'd like to get to Times Square for New Year's Eve. I would just like that experience. I would just like to know what that feels like to be. Anybody ever been to Times Square on New Year's Eve? Oh, mission strip next year. How about it? <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty cool. Uh, the, the, the most, I don't know, I think disappointing crowd experience I had when I was like my early 20s, maybe, maybe I was barely 20, uh, was at a U2 concert. And uh, I was, we lined up early all day, so we were right at the stage. And the crush, you know, this is, the U2 has just gotten really huge. We're in a stadium, 50,000 people. And there's a crush of people to the front of the stage. And I remember being like this. My face was smushed up against some sweaty guy with a big old arm there. And I just thought, I don't think this is worth it. This is not what I want. So I moved to the back where the crowds weren't so bad. But I, I do like crowds in, in short bursts. I, 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 just, I love walking through the Fresno Fairgrounds at fair time. And I love being a tourist on a busy street. I mean, those things are partly because it's fun to be around people. Partly because, you know, God has created people and so there's a little bit of the, the image of God in every person that you meet and and also um, there's a little bit of safety in a crowd you can sort of hide you can be a bit anonymous and and in fact some say that some of the loneliest place you can be is in a big crowd of people well as we've been working through Luke's gospel you see there's Frequently a crowd around Jesus and you're going to continue to see that always crowds and we're going to continue today jostling around in a crowd uh, of people. But we're going to meet two special people who who out of desperation and out of urgency managed to get through the crowd and get right to Jesus. And in every story we've done so far, we see how in spite of the crowds, Jesus is zeroing in on individuals. So. Um, we're going to see that again today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter, I mean, Acts. Oh, I wrote down Acts. It's Luke. What did I put up? Oh, Luke. In my notes, I wrote Acts chapter 8. I wonder what that would be like. Um, <laughs> Luke wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. So maybe that's what I was thinking. Will you stand with me as we read from God's word? Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 40. I'm sorry, I don't have a page number for you if you're in the red Bible. Never feel bad about using your table of contents in your Bible, okay? 644, thank you. It says, on the other side of the lake, so Jesus had been across the the Sea of Galilee and had encountered a a demonized, a demon-possessed man and had delivered him and set him free, and now he's returned back. So it's on the other side of the lake. The crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. 
And then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who is about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. And while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And he told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. She will be healed. And when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James and the little girl's father and mother. And the house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. And then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone. What had happened? We thank the Lord for his word. Let's take a seat together. Two very desperate people. I don't know if you've ever been in that place of desperation to get to Jesus. Just because maybe you've been in a crisis doesn't mean to say you're willing to do whatever it takes to get to the Lord. There's a, I think, a fear that some of us have that that we really are just a face in the crowd. We really are just one among many. That God doesn't really notice us or or maybe we need to be strong in the in the face even of of crisis. We just got to man up or woman up or whatever it is. Maybe you've seen that movie Bruce Almighty and there's that place when when Morgan Freeman gives a. Jim Carrey, an idea of what it's like to listen to all the prayers around the world all at the same time. And you think, yeah, that must be what it's like. I'm just I'm just lost in there somewhere. But every face in the crowd is precious to Jesus. And I would say this, that Jesus sees you through the crowds. If you're using your outline tomorrow, that's your first little line there. Jesus sees you through the crowds. He really does. I don't know if you can visualize this scene. You know, here you have Jesus, this this miracle worker, this you know wonderful rabbi. He's on the boat. The boat's coming into shore. The 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 the, the beach is just elbow to elbow with people. They're all kind of shouting questions at him and, and trying to reach him. They're holding up their babies to to maybe get their babies blessed. And and it's just it's noisy and and jumbled. And and you've got people around the fringes, you know, selling stuff because that's what always what happens in those places. And, and, and as he hits the shore, people are just like, Jesus, Jesus, over here, over here. What happened? What did you do over there? What's going on? 
they're, they're, they're just noisy. And somehow, in the midst of all that, there's these two people that get to him. They get his attention. Jairus, this synagogue leader, and the, the woman whose name we never learn. She remains unnamed. What, what makes them special? What makes them different? Why did they get to Jesus when undoubtedly there were lots of people who wanted to get to Jesus? And we talked about this, I think, just a couple of weeks ago. We, we looked at that verse that's repeated a few times in the Bible that says, you know, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I, I wouldn't want to be opposed by God, would you? But he gives grace to the humble. What do you notice about these two incredible level of humility? Matthew's gospel and what we call the Beatitudes reminds us that blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. There's something about being desperate at a core level where you know that I do not have the resources to manage my own troubles. And Jesus is drawn to those who are humble and those who are desperate for him. And I'll ask it again. Have you ever been really desperate for Jesus? Have you let yourself get there? Here they are on the ground, on their knees, at the feet of Jesus. We've seen this before, haven't we? We saw Simon Peter after that great catch of fish. Chapter 5 talks about a man who's, who has leprosy. He falls at his to his knees in front of Jesus. We met the sinful woman a few weeks ago who's pouring out her tears and, and ministering to Jesus in that way. The story we just jumped over, this demon-possessed man, when Jesus approaches, he falls to his knees in front of Jesus. There's, there's these two. There's Martha's sister Mary. Remember Mary and Martha, the, the, the two women, and Martha's busy serving, but, but Mary places herself at the feet of Jesus to hear from him. There's another leper in chapter 17, a Samaritan, who thanks Jesus. In all eight cases, when they come to their knees at the feet of Jesus, they receive a healing or an affirmation or a blessing of some kind from the Lord. And what had to happen, I think, for, for Jairus and for this woman to reach out to Jesus, they, they had to reach the end of themselves. That place of brokenness. That place of admitting, I, I'm done with my excuses. I'm done with showing how, how much I can handle this. I'm desperate. I need help. And Jairus, this synagogue leader, he's likely well off. So, you know, a synagogue, you know, as, as there's only there was only one temple for the Jews. They didn't have temples in every place. There was one temple in Jerusalem, but they gathered in various places in what was called a synagogue, a local gathering for the reading of, of scripture and, and teaching and talking about that. This guy was in charge. He was like the local pastor. I mean, that, that would be the equivalent would be. He was he was in charge. He was religious, probably well to do. But only one child and only a daughter at that. Really? I mean, if God blesses you, wouldn't he have given a son? Wouldn't, wouldn't he have given you a quiver full of children? Some of you even in this room have, have struggled with, with that tension of, 
aren't children a sign of God's blessing, but we weren't able to have children? What's going on here? So it's been a big letdown, his life. And now the one daughter that he does have, the one, the one that he loves, the, the one who's 12 and just entering that place where she could be betrothed or promised away in marriage. She's going to die. What? How do you make sense of that? Instead of getting a hardened heart, though, Jairus got a desperate heart. His was an urgent problem. But he was helpless. And this woman, having exhausted all her resources, no doctor has helped. In fact, in Mark's Gospel, it goes so far as to say she saw many doctors and it only got worse. Which is a, kind of an interesting little thing that Luke, who himself is a physician, excludes that part. She's desperate. She, in those, under that Jewish set of regulations, she is what we would call unclean. Untouchable. She, she has some kind of um, hemorrhaging issue, and so she cannot be really touched. So how would that feel? No one can touch you. No one can shake your hand. No one can give you a hug. You've had this problem for 12 years and people avoid you everywhere. You go to the market and people spread away. You're ostracized. You're put on display. Wow. She's lonely. She's isolated. A few weeks ago, we, we looked at that, that so-called sinful woman who had been touched by many men. This one hasn't been touched by any. Hers was not an urgent problem, but it was hopeless. So out of that hopelessness, out of his helplessness, out of their desperation in humility, they find themselves on their knees at the feet of Jesus. For the woman, not immediately. She thought she could do this secretly. She was, she maybe had reached a place where not too many people knew what was going on. And she was going to just sneak through and, 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 and get her healing from Jesus and slip away. And Jesus says, ah, I know what's going on. And at that point, she's on her knees before Jesus. Action step. What can we do when we are finally ready to admit our own desperate brokenness? I think we stop being so fiercely independent. And we get humble with Jesus and, and with others. And we get past the, what was it, WWPT syndrome? What will people think? Syndrome. And we, we say there's got to be some deliberate act of humility in my life. Of getting on my knees Maybe even literally, physically. Is there something in place in your life where that needs to happen? For example, some of us have, have, have carried secret struggles or hurts or sins or, or burdens for years and years and years. You've never shared it because you're embarrassed. 
something that happened to you, something you did, something that's going into the life of your son or daughter or brother or sister or parent. And you've just felt like you're just going to be strong and you're just going to bury it. You can pretend like it never happened and you've just got to get over it and just got to be strong and, and God will just heal you and you're just going to just hold it all in. And maybe it's finally time to reach out and get real and get some help. What will you do when you're finally ready to admit that brokenness? One more thing I want to say about each of these people. Jairus is a synagogue leader, really was putting everything on the line by coming to Jesus. Right? Jesus was hated by many devout Jews. And here you have a man who's a prominent leader of, of other Jewish men. And he's going to go to Jesus. What's that going to do to his reputation? Right? What's that going to do to his influence? What's that going to do to his position? I mean, are they going to have a meeting over at the synagogue saying, well, Jairus can't lead us anymore. He's kind of, I don't know, talking to that Jesus. Doesn't care. Some of us are want to be so protective of that reputation around other people that we just don't want it to be known that we're following Jesus or seeking him out because of what it's going to cost us. He didn't care. And the woman, she actually did this all wrong. I mean, that's really not the right way to get a healing, right? She's just completely superstitious. You know, if I just touch the edge of, of Kurt's shirt over here, then something I'm going to become like an amazing math teacher. Right? That's all it takes. Is that all it takes? I, I don't even understand math. All right? She's doing it all wrong. Thinking it's this robe that's going to heal me. But she does have faith. And thankfully, Jesus did not rebuke her in that. That is the prettiest ringtone I think I've ever heard. Um, but Jesus does not rebuke her, right? Because Jesus is not offended by imperfect prayers and pleas. Let me say that again. Jesus is not offended by imperfect prayers and pleas. One of the saddest things I hear people say, and I heard it again yesterday, um, when, people, when someone says, you know, I, I can't pray out loud or I can't pray in a group because, you know, I, I, I don't have the right words. I, I can't say it good like you can say it. Right. As though there's some special formula that that God's waiting for. You know, we come as we are. And and if someone's going to judge you for the way you prayed out loud, that's their issue, not yours. Some of you, some of you feel like, yeah, I, I just can't keep up to the people around me. You know, Jesus is not offended by imperfect prayers and pleas. And uh, I would just say, let's not get hung up on the words or even who does the praying. It's, it's superstition when we do that. Um, you know, for example, here's a pet peeve of every pastor, um, I think. Certainly, it's a pet peeve of mine. Michael, maybe you know where I'm going with this. You're at an event where there's a dinner, might be a wedding reception or a family meal. And guess who gets asked to pray? Oh, the pastor's here. Will you say the grace for us? There's 200 people in the room. 
98% of whom are followers of Jesus. But you've got to ask the professional guy to do the praying. Really? Right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. All the time. Right? Let's not do that. Or you're in the hospital and ten people visited you and each one prayed for you, but until the pastor showed up, nobody saw and came to see me. Right? Man, I... Um, well, we'll carry on. Um, it's, not to, it's not to say we can't learn and, and do better. Jesus, Jesus didn't say to her, Oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> she thinks my robe healed her. She, she thinks that touching the fringe, the little tassels on her, my, my, my rabbi's shawl, she thinks that healed her. You will just let her believe that. It's, no, he says, no, woman, it's your faith that healed you. So Jesus is using this as a teachable moment. He does correct her, but he does it in just an unbelievably beautiful way. Daughter. No one's really spoken to her lovingly in 12 years. Daughter, your faith has healed you. And, and, you know, she could have left thrilled about the robe, right? And told everybody about the robe, but instead she left thrilled about Jesus. He took her imperfect, misplaced act of faith and elevated her to a new status of, of value. Here's the action step. Don't be afraid to get started in prayer. However imperfect you might feel it is. Don't judge anyone else for praying wrong. It's okay. I don't think you do. We put that on ourselves. And don't be afraid to pray wrong if it gets you started. And at the same time, knowing that you can help others in that process. For example, Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. So I encourage the people to pray to the Father. But in the name of Jesus the Son, in His authority, Jesus said, wherever two or three of you are gathered in My name, I'm there with you. There's an authority that comes in the name of Jesus, and we do so directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a Trinitarian work. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are working together. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. And at the same time, we've got to be okay with some mystery about how God works. You know, in this episode from Luke 8, of of all the many people in that crowd, we see these two who receive special healing attention from Jesus. And I don't have an answer why some are not healed when we pray while others are. Is it our lack of faith? Is it God's greater purpose? I, I can't answer that. But I do know I'm to keep asking and seeking and knocking and trusting for the right outcome, knowing that God knows what He's doing. But that's not going to keep me from asking. And our problem is, is that when we get stuck, I think, in fear or anxiety, we're, we're really kept from trusting in Him. Let me put it this way, that Jesus invites you to move from fear to faith. Jesus invites you to move from fear to faith. You know, without divine intervention, both of these were impossible situations, right? And yet, if they had not approached Jesus, the girl would have died. The woman would have gone on suffering. At some point, they needed to come to Jesus. They had to, in spite of their fear, approach the Lord. 
And like we said earlier, it was a risk, right, for Jairus' reputation. It was on the line for the woman who would already have been an outcast due to this you know, unclean condition. She may be further shamed publicly as the story comes out. And what if it doesn't work? And now people really know what's going on. And, and instead, Jesus deals with that as he restores her to the community of God's people. Daughter, you know, he, he now makes her fully a part of the community of faith. And Jesus does not say, well, you know, if you'll just work a little harder and, and just keep the law and just be good and say the right words, then maybe I'll do something for you. It doesn't work that way. You know, um, maybe maybe it's worth saying some of this. This last week was the start of Lent. Uh, Wednesday, I think it was Ash Wednesday. Am I off a week or is that, I'm, I've got my timing right? And um, there's there's been a, a move in the last, um, I don't know, decade or so. A lot of uh, evangelical churches, Protestant churches, but evangelical churches have have really um, started to really embrace Lent as a practice. And. That's fine. And, and some years I've observed Lent as well. It's a, it's a season of preparation for Easter, for the Passion Week of Christ. It's an opportunity to, in a sense, discipline your body in some way, to deny yourself something so you're anticipating the coming of Jesus. Or maybe adding a spiritual habit for those, for those um, six weeks or however you want to do that. But I want to be very careful that in our observe, obs, observance of some of these traditional practices, we don't say, oh, well, you know, because they observe Lent, God's going to love me more. Or because they observe Lent, I'm somehow more holy or I'm somehow more righteous or I somehow get more approval from God. I don't want us to get, um, you know, superstitious about some of these celebrations. It's, it's a traditional practice that if it's helpful to you, cool, go for it. Awesome. If it's meaningful, if it if it leads you to a deeper faith and a deeper understanding of Jesus and a greater love for the Lord. Absolutely. But if for you it becomes like, oh, man, I got to do this. And if it becomes a, a burden of a of religious duty, I would say set yourself free from that. It's, it's the Bible never says celebrate Lent. It's not a biblical practice, but that doesn't mean to say it's a bad practice. So instead of. You know, laying some ritual on her or, you know, try harder activity on her and 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 him. Jesus says, go in peace. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Why would Jesus say those sorts of things? Don't be afraid. Go in peace. It's because fear and faith don't get along. Fear and faith do not coexist. Right. Peace and panic do not happen at the same time. So. You can choose not to be afraid. You can choose to be at peace. It's your decision. And you might need to talk yourself through it. You might need to get some someone to help you kind of work through those stages if it's become a, a real barrier in your life. In recovery groups, we, we talk about speaking a new reality before it happens. You may not feel like you're a child of God, but if you put your faith in Jesus, you could say, I am a child of God, made righteous by the blood of Christ. I don't feel like it yet, but that's the truth. So I, I speak 
the reality before I even am aware of it. Why else might Jesus have told the woman in particular, go in peace? I think because there's other ways that she could have gone. She could have gone in arrogance. She could have, she could have gone in, in, in entitlement. She could have gone in just a groveling indebtedness. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll just never be able to pay back what you've done for me, Jesus. Right? Or, you know, it's amazing sometimes we ask for an answer from God and it happens and we say, oh, never mind, God, it worked out. <laughs> right? Isn't that crazy? It was something about um, Tuesday night. We prayed about something at our, our leadership council and we got word yesterday that that very night God answered and it worked. And we could say, oh, I guess we didn't need to pray. <laughs> you know, the answer is already in the works. Or we can say, God, you answered. We prayed and you answered. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how God works? And so I think that's why he has to tell her, go in peace. It's done. She was free. She was freely healed. She was freely saved and free to go in peace. Jesus demands nothing back for those gifts. There's no repayment expected. And in Jairus' story, there's this amazing moment. You see it there in verse 50. Right? Jesus heard what had happened about how the girl had died. And he said, don't be afraid. Have faith and she'll be healed. Fear could have led Jesus, or it could have led Jairus, I should say, just to walk away and say, never mind, Jesus, it's done. I just, too late. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. And just as fear drives away faith, faith can drive away fear. But faith has to happen before you get the answer. That's the nature of faith. It's conviction of things unseen, things that have not yet happened. Even in verse 52, when Jesus commands, stop weeping. To those people in the room and Jesus, it's pretty cool how Jesus is pretty selective about who he takes into the into the house with him, into the room. Like all you people that are being downers about this, you go over there. I don't need you now. Peter, James, John, let's go in here. Right. That's an act of faith. Upon Something that has yet to happen. And you might feel in your life right now that something's not going your way. It might be here at church. It might be at home. It might be at work. It might be in your health or in your finances or in your relationships. You're asking for a healing or you're asking for an answer of some kind. And things don't seem to improve or maybe even get worse like it did for that woman. Like it did for Jairus' daughter. And I'm here to challenge us to move from fear to faith. To shift from panic to peace. As a choice. As a deliberate decision. Because Jesus works amazing things when we choose faith and peace and trust Him with the outcome. My action step would be to ask you, where in your life do you need to move from fear to faith? Just take a moment to think through your life right now. Your relationships, your parenting, your finances, your health, right? Your occupation, your career, your education, your future, your past. Where is it in your life Jesus would invite you to move from panic to peace, from fear to faith? Is there some concrete, deliberate, action step 
you can take to say, I choose faith. I had a phone call like that with someone this week who's going through a really challenging health time. They'd gotten some really tough news the day before. And he said, Lord, we're going to trust the Lord. I just like, wow. That's pretty awesome. Jesus sees you in the crowd. Just think about that. Right now, in this very moment, Jesus sees you in the crowd. And He's not offended by your imperfect approach. And He invites you right now to move from fear to faith. Josh, would you come with the worship team as we sing one more song? And as we um, sing, like we do each week, I want to give you that opportunity to just be processing that. And not simply say, oh, isn't that nice? Someone should do that. To say, Lord, where is it in my own life? You're asking me, you're inviting me. I mean, Jesus very deliberately said to these people, to Jairus, have faith. To the woman, go in peace. There are times we actually need the Lord to say those things to us. And maybe today it's there's something very specific. Uh, Denise and Jonathan are available at the prayer room back there. Maybe as we're singing, you want to just slip out and pray with somebody. Maybe you actually want to physically, like the woman did, like Jairus did, be on your knees before the Lord. This area is available for that. If you want to come to the front, do that. If you're worried about what other people think, remember it's their issue, not yours. To say, Lord, here I am. I have a desperate need. Or my friend has a desperate need. Or my family member has a desperate need. I'm bringing that to you right now. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, I know that you um, are already aware of every we're dealing with in this very moment. You understand everything we've gone through. You know everything we're yet to face in our lives. You know those things, those secret things that have happened to us or things that we've done. Lord, you know the, the fears we have. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I would just ask by your Holy Spirit, you minister to us, to each person here, to deliver us from that fear, to deliver us from panic, and to come to that place where we're not afraid to come before you and say, Jesus, I have a need. And for you to meet that need. And we want to trust you. And as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I, I, want, I do this every week because I don't want to miss the opportunity. If you're somebody who's never put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sin and to give you new life. And you're saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus today. I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you're here and you're saying, I would like to follow Jesus, you can just raise your hand and... Uh, We'll just make eye contact and I'll pray with you after the service. Explain what that means to be a follower of Jesus. Anybody like that today? All right. For the rest of us, let's bring this to the Lord. I'm not a face in the crowd. So what am I bringing to Jesus today? Josh.